Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Billy Woodward sat at his kitchen table with his head in his hands. He took deep breaths as he ran his fingers through his close-cropped gray hair. He needed to keep calm. He needed to think clearly. His enemies were only trying to upset him. Just then, a truck sped past outside his house and the driver laid on the horn. The sound made Billy flinch, then pound the table. He hated feeling like this. The neighbors knew he wasn't well. They knew he couldn't control his own actions. They knew, they knew, they knew. He stood and walked to the medicine cabinet. Along the way, he passed the locker where he kept his gun. He almost stopped in front of it, but kept going. He took his medicine, turned off the lights, and laid in bed. He could get through this. Today, he was strong enough to endure their taunts. But tomorrow was another beast altogether. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll discover how a petty spat between neighbors became a matter of life and death. We'll detail how Florida men, Gary Hembry, Roger Picor, and Tim Blake pushed their former friend, Billy Woodward, to his breaking point. Next week, we'll talk about the night the tension finally boiled over, the fatal consequences, and the headline-grabbing trial that followed. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? 
Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. When we think about bullying, we generally imagine something like a hulking figure pushing around a smaller classmate for some lunch money, or maybe a group of children ganging up on someone different. But harassment isn't limited to the schoolyard, and there's no age limit on pettiness. Bullies come in all shapes and sizes. The difference is, when adults allow themselves to get wrapped up in melodrama, minor squabbles can end up spinning out of control with life-changing consequences. Yet in early 2012, out of control is probably the last way anyone would have described the tight-knit community of Titusville, Florida. Situated near the coast, Titusville is known for the nearby Kennedy Space Center and not much else. But that's exactly what many of the residents love about it. It's a quiet place, made up of blue-collar workers raising happy families away from the hustle and bustle of the big city. When Tim and Carrie Blake first moved into the Whispering Oaks neighborhood of Titusville in April of 2012, they were looking forward to settling down. 49-year-old Tim was a professional welder, while Carrie worked in a restaurant. The two of them moved to Smith Street to raise their children and set down roots. It didn't take them long to get to know their neighbors. Right next door was 39-year-old Gary Hembry and his young daughter. They also lived with Gary's girlfriend, Kim Silsbury, and her two sons. And across the street were the Woodwards. Barbara Woodward and her husband, Billy, had been raising their adolescent daughter in Whispering Oaks for years. They took it upon themselves to welcome the Blakes to the community. 43-year-old Billy, in particular, worked hard to accommodate the Blakes. He was a machinist who was known around the neighborhood for raising chickens in his backyard. What started as a hobby turned into a passion project, as his coop grew to house almost two dozen birds. Barbara later described them as loving pets, and Billy saw them as serving key roles in his therapeutic regimen. They calmed and motivated him. Though Billy did his best to be friendly to his neighbors, behind the scenes, he sometimes struggled with his mood. He was a veteran of the Gulf War and sustained a serious head injury during his service. He was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Before I continue with Billy's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. The National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder states PTSD is a mental health problem that some people develop after experiencing or witnessing a life-threatening event like combat. Symptoms sometimes include being easily startled by loud noises or surprise, irritability, nightmares, and an aversion to crowds. Individuals with PTSD are not inherently dangerous, but just as the effects of PTSD vary, so do the associated behaviors. According to a study published in the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology, the condition is associated with an increased risk of violence compared to the general population. For the most part, 
Billy's PTSD manifested as anxiety. He took medicine prescribed by his doctor and lived in relative harmony on Smith Street. His condition was just another part of life. Billy was perhaps closest with Gary Hembury, as the two had known each other for years. Gary helped Billy tend to his chickens or work in his yard. In the past, Billy had even loaned Gary money to help pay his mortgage. On the surface, the residents of Whispering Oaks got along well, but after Tim and Carrie Blake got settled in their new home, they started to see the tiny cracks in the foundation of goodwill. The trouble kicked off when the Woodward's daughter noticed her private candy stash looking a little light. The 11-year-old kept a special tin of treats in her bedroom to satisfy her sweet tooth. But sometime in 2012, the candies started vanishing. Barbara and Billy didn't know what to think. When their daughter mentioned her candy was missing, they instinctively looked to each other. It probably seemed like a bit of a joke at first, though of course their little girl wasn't laughing. After the two of them talked and confirmed neither of them had touched the sweets, the mystery deepened. The adults may have assumed their daughter had miscounted or misplaced the candy, though Barbara promised she would keep an eye out for the culprit. Once she started paying attention, a suspect was revealed. According to Barbara, small toys or candy disappeared on several occasions after Gary Hembry's seven-year-old daughter came over to play at their house. It made Billy see his neighbors in an entirely new light. That night, he couldn't help but stew over the theft. He wasn't upset about having to buy another little bag of candy, but there was a matter of principle at the heart of the situation. He'd graciously invited Gary's daughter into his home, and she disrespected the entire family. Of course, she didn't know any better, which is why he directed his anger at her parents. In his mind, misbehavior like that was a symptom of a greater problem. He shook his head and tried to put it out of his mind. He knew how it would look to blow up on Gary over such a tiny incident, but that only made him feel more powerless. He didn't like being disrespected. He wished he could just use this opportunity to teach his daughter the value of justice. He went out to watch some TV and distract himself, stopping at the window to stare across the street at Gary's house. His neighbors were on the porch, smoking and laughing. That was how these things started, he told himself. Bad parenting was contagious. Environments like those were toxic. The Woodward's relationship with their neighbors soured after that. At some point, Billy discovered Gary smoking marijuana while his girlfriend and Tim Blake stood by and chatted. Gary had epilepsy and a legal cannabis card, but the situation still made Billy uncomfortable. He told Gary he didn't want his daughter exposed to that kind of drug. He said she would no longer be allowed to come over to Gary's house and play though he would still welcome Gary's daughter into his own home. Gary and Kim were offended by Billy's attitude. They felt he was being judgmental, looking down on Gary for smoking the medical marijuana he'd been prescribed. They didn't like the implication that their home was an unsuitable environment for children, and it triggered a heated argument. 
At first, Gary tried to reason with Billy, reminding him of their years of friendship. But Billy was unyielding. He didn't care what people did in their own house, but he felt he had a right to raise his daughter the way he pleased. He drew a line in the sand. And Tim Blake, who was just a bystander on the porch, found himself dragged into a tense situation that he wanted no part of. He resented being lumped in with Gary as some kind of pothead just because he happened to be there. It's hard to say how everyone felt after the argument petered out, but the tensions on the street didn't end after the confrontation on the porch. Sometime later, Tim and Carrie Blake came home to find a warning from the water company stuck to their door. If they didn't pay their bill soon, their water would be shut off. The Blakes claimed they'd simply forgotten to pay up that month. As they tore off the sign, Billy Woodward stopped by, brandishing a piece of paper and smiling wide. He handed them a receipt. He'd seen the notice and took it upon himself to pay their water bill for them. Tim and Carrie were taken aback. Billy acted like it was a simple act of goodwill, but it made the Blakes feel like charity cases. They hadn't asked Billy for help with money, and they couldn't help but think he was looking down on them by swooping in to take care of their business himself. Right or wrong, they interpreted the incident as a backhanded favor. It's possible Billy only meant to do a good deed or even potentially intended it as an apology for offending Tim during the marijuana argument. Unfortunately, it only deepened the divide between the two sides of the street. Tim and Carrie Blake felt compelled to take Gary and Kim's side because in their mind, Billy had already grouped them all together. For his part, Billy went back to his house and tried to turn his attention to happier matters. His daughter was turning 12 soon, and he set to work planning a party. He was going to make sure she had all the candy she wanted. On August 4th, 2012, a friend came by to give the birthday girl a treat. They baked a special dessert, put it in a tiny pink cooler, and drove it over to the Woodwards. For whatever reason, when they knocked, no one answered, so they dropped the gift on the front porch. Later on, the friend called Barbara to ask whether the daughter enjoyed the present. Barbara had no idea anyone had left something by the door. She hadn't noticed anything in their front yard. She called her daughter over and asked her if she'd seen any gifts outside. She hadn't. The cooler had simply vanished. When Billy heard about it, he was irate. He immediately suspected Gary's daughter had swiped it off the porch. He'd officially had enough. That little girl needed to learn that there were consequences to her actions and Gary had to step up and discipline her. Billy marched across the street and pounded on the Hembry's door. He wasn't a friendly neighbor any longer. He was there to teach Gary a lesson in parenting. Coming up, the gulf widens between Billy and his neighbors. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. 
When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 2012, 43-year-old Billy Woodward confronted his neighbor and former friend, 39-year-old Gary Hembree. Tensions had been simmering under the surface for weeks, but things boiled over when Billy accused Gary's seven-year-old daughter of stealing a birthday present off his front porch. Gary was furious. He'd long tolerated what he saw as Billy's sanctimonious conservative views on parenting, but this time, he'd gone too far. He couldn't believe a middle-aged man would openly accuse a little girl of theft without any evidence. He refused to entertain the possibility that his daughter stole the gift. Just like Billy had his own way of raising his daughter, Gary wasn't going to bow down and punish his little girl because his neighbor ordered him to. He slammed the door in Billy's face. The Woodwards were shocked. They really didn't see themselves as the instigator. In their minds, they'd shown restraint for weeks, ever since the two of them first suspected Gary's daughter of stealing candy. Billy had already argued with Gary about the environment he was raising his kids in. Now he just wanted an apology, or at the very least to get the missing present back so his daughter could have a happy birthday. So, the Woodwards might not have believed they'd started the argument, but now they were hell-bent on finishing it. So much so that Barbara called the local police to intervene. Gary couldn't believe it when a patrol car showed up on their quiet little street and an officer knocked on his door. They were sicking the cops on a seven-year-old girl. He felt a surge of anger wash over him. The arrival of authorities definitely did not de-escalate the situation. All of a sudden, the squabble didn't seem petty any longer. Gary just knew the other neighbors were peeking through their blinds, inventing all kinds of crazy theories about why the police were there. It was a public humiliation. He gritted his teeth and opened the door. The policeman asked him if he'd seen the missing birthday present around. Gary tried not to laugh out loud and shook his head. After some prodding, he reluctantly performed a quick search of his daughter's room. There was no pink cooler or half-eaten treats. When his daughter came to the front door, the officer asked if she'd taken anything that didn't belong to her. She immediately burst into tears. It was borderline traumatizing. The policeman eventually drove away without taking any more action. 
Gary comforted his crying daughter, more offended by the Woodwards than ever. Billy and Barbara apparently saw his girl as some kind of hardened criminal. Their overreaction made Gary all the more confident that he was ultimately in the right. So he dug in his heels. The mystery of the birthday bandit remained unsolved, but neither Billy nor Gary seemed to care. It wasn't about their daughters anymore. It was about the false accusations. It was a matter of principle. It was about consequences, and the list went on. After the birthday present debacle, Gary and Billy weren't just former friends. They were enemies. It didn't take long for the situation to boil over again. A few days later, Barbara Woodward noticed Gary outside their home, filming their backyard with his phone. Billy pushed open the door, red-faced and raring to go. He shouted for Gary to go home and stop taking pictures of his family. Gary fired back, still upset about Billy calling the authorities on his daughter. The two grown men yelled over top of each other for what seemed like an eternity. Their faces reddened, veins popped in their foreheads. Tim and Carrie Blake came out to defend Gary. That's when things got out of hand. Gary's girlfriend Kim, along with the Blakes, claimed that Billy lifted his shirt and flashed a handgun in his waistband. Law enforcement was once again called to the residential street to settle the argument. When the authorities arrived, Billy insisted he hadn't threatened any violence. At least two neighbors who weren't directly involved backed him up. They said they saw him lift up his shirt to demonstrate that he did not have a weapon. It's hard to know which side was telling the truth. Because of the contradictory testimony, the officer left without giving Billy a citation. Once again, nothing was done to lessen the tension. Instead, the conflict ratcheted up once again. Before long, Gary had assembled more allies. His friend, Roger Picor, along with Roger's girlfriend and her children, needed a place to stay while they looked for a new home. Gary invited them to stay with him. 44-year-old Roger was known to stir the pot. Once Gary told him about the neighborhood spat, the chances of a level-headed resolution to the argument dwindled. Cooler heads would not prevail. Roger introduced himself to the Woodwards by yelling across the yard at Billy, mocking him for keeping chickens as pets. Billy responded by sitting out in his yard in a lawn chair and giving Roger an ice-cold stare. Dateline later showed a picture from that day of him giving his neighbors the middle finger. Billy's elderly father, a former police officer, came by to help calm his son down. The neighbors dragged him into the conflict, allegedly threatening to beat the old man with a baseball bat or a golf club. He bought Billy a surveillance camera as a precautionary measure in case things got out of control again. By that point, it seemed that anything done by one side of the street triggered a new escalation. Gary's girlfriend Kim believed the surveillance camera was an invasion of her privacy. She started having trouble sleeping, afraid that Billy was spying on their house. In response, 
Gary installed an incredibly bright floodlight on the front of his home. It shone like a beacon right into Billy's new camera lens. But that was only the beginning of his counteroffensive. A few days later, Gary sent the footage he recorded of the Woodward's backyard to the city. Technically, Billy wasn't allowed to raise chickens in a residential neighborhood. A representative came by and served him a notice. He had to get rid of the birds. Billy was devastated. He relied on the chickens to calm himself down, and the whole family had developed a deep bond with them. He hated having to tell his daughter that their beloved pets would have to be sent away. Gary had crossed a line. He was clearly no longer interested in resolving things peacefully. They were preying on his mental issues, actively trying to drive him crazy. Billy saw now that he was embroiled in a full-blown war. He'd slipped up and allowed the enemy to strike when he was least prepared. The neighbors had already threatened Billy, his family, his father, and now they'd come after his beloved pets. It was his duty to protect them all. It's hard to pinpoint the exact moment when the neighbors stopped seeing the argument as petty and really set out to hurt each other. But for Billy, the attack on his chickens was highly personal. The animals meant a lot to him and he was sure his former friends knew it. One neighbor claimed that he was positive Gary knew about Billy's PTSD as they had been friends for years. He had to have known that getting rid of the birds would break Billy's heart. It's not surprising that Billy was greatly affected by the removal of his therapy birds. Studies have shown that animal companions served to lower anxiety among patients in a variety of healthcare settings. Raising the chickens may have seemed like just a hobby to Gary and the other neighbors, but to Billy, they were an integral part of his therapeutic regimen. Billy had anxiety, and now he was being deprived of a significant source of relief. But the attack didn't stop there. After the chickens were gone, Gary kicked Billy while he was down. He and Roger started yelling across the street at the Woodwards every day. They called out things like winner, winner, chicken dinner, and other provocations to make sure Billy knew who was responsible for taking his birds. It wasn't just that either. Gary started holding loud parties on his front porch. He had his guests lay on the horn as they passed by the Woodward's house at all hours of the night. It wasn't just designed to grate on the family's nerves. The loud noises were specifically engineered to trigger Billy's PTSD and torment him. Shouting matches also became a daily occurrence. On one occasion, a neutral neighbor stopped by to see the Woodwards during the evening. Billy walked him home afterward. When they stepped outside, Gary and the rest of his rowdy party met them in the street. Gary, Roger, and their friends made cracks about the missing chickens. They belittled Billy for his army service. According to Barbara, they were baiting her husband into a physical fight. Nothing was sacred. At one point, one of the female neighbors said they would get a man to rape Billy's 12-year-old daughter. 
both Kim and Carrie Blake denied making the threat, but audio from Billy's surveillance camera proved that someone did shout it. The remark drew out Barbara from her home, outraged that anyone would say something so depraved. According to Dateline, Billy put an end to the screaming by vividly threatening to kill his neighbors if they ever hurt his daughter. After that night, police were a daily fixture on the street. Sometimes they were called out multiple times in a single afternoon. According to Barbara Woodward, the authorities rarely de-escalated things. The neighbors would more or less play nice whenever a patrol car was in the vicinity. Officers would encourage everyone to calm down and return to their homes, then drive away. Billy's father, who used to work for the police, told his son that the authorities couldn't be relied on to resolve the situation. Tim Blake agreed that law enforcement wasn't meaningfully intervening in the conflict. He told Dateline that police were called 86 times in the span of six weeks. He reportedly asked officers whether they were waiting for body bags to be needed before they put an end to the feud. In retrospect, it's easy to point fingers at the authorities for their inaction, but from their point of view, six to eight middle-aged adults with families were bickering over pet chickens and a 12-year-old's birthday present. No real crimes were being committed, though there may have been some exceptions depending on the day, it was nearly impossible to disentangle the conflicting statements from each side and figure out what really happened. Billy accused Gary of antagonizing him, while Gary claimed that Billy was overreacting and threatening violence. After being forced to show up to settle petty arguments so many times, it's not hard to see how police saw the conflict as nothing more than a series of adult temper tantrums. Still, after a week of daily screaming matches, both sides were desperate for a legal solution. Police reportedly told the neighbors that their only chance for peace would be to file an injunction. In late August, each side geared up to go to court. Everyone wanted protective orders installed against everyone else. But what happened next only set the stage for the ultimate showdown. Up next, a Titusville judge tears the angry neighbors a new one. Now, back to the story. By the summer of 2012, 43-year-old Billy Woodward had reached the end of his rope. What started as a petty squabble with his neighbors, Gary Hembury and Roger Picor, had been blown way out of proportion. The involvement of Tim and Carrie Blake next door did nothing to ease the tension. Billy struggled to keep his temper in check after Gary and Roger forced him to give up his pet chickens, which he used as therapy to cope with his PTSD. Since then, the quiet Florida street had become a war zone, with the police being called to settle arguments nearly every day. The only solution appeared to lie with a local judge, on August 29th, all the neighbors packed into a Florida courtroom to file protective orders against their former friends. Even Billy's father, who stayed out of the conflict for the most part, brought a charge against Roger Picor for threatening him. Even in a courtroom, the adults couldn't stay civil for long. 
After an explosive outburst, Billy apologized to the judge. He described himself as a mentally disabled veteran who was medicated and had trouble controlling his emotions. The judge was left scratching his head. He more or less saw the situation the same way many police officers had, a waste of time. He urged the neighbors to get a hold of themselves, stop screaming about petty disagreements, and calmly return to their homes. He refused to grant a single protective order. By the end of the hearing, Billy was in tears. While the conflict seemed petty to the uninvolved, real emotions and egos were on the line over on Smith Street. Most of the neighbors had looked forward to the court date as the final opportunity to put the matter to bed. Without any legal protection forthcoming, apparently the neighbors could only slam on the gas harder. As Billy and Barbara Woodward walked through the courthouse parking lot, Gary couldn't resist taunting his enemies. While Billy's back was turned, Gary called him brain dead, once again mocking his mental condition. According to Gary's girlfriend, Kim, Billy responded by asking Gary if he was prepared to die. Yet another shouting match erupted, less than 10 minutes after a judge had just ordered them to back down. Being mocked right after he was denied institutional help no doubt devastated Billy. To him, Gary was thumbing his nose at him after avoiding the consequences for his actions, again. Like so much of the conflict, it was bullying, plain and simple. It didn't matter that everyone involved was a grown adult. Words can hurt, especially when the harassment continues for weeks at a time. Although there hasn't been much research focused exclusively on harassment in a small community like Whispering Oaks, there have been examinations of adult bullying in the workplace. One Norwegian study conducted in 2011 found that workplace bullying was associated with increased mental distress. These feelings can easily snowball and pile on top of existing anxiety. During the argument in the courthouse parking lot, Billy finally snapped. He rushed Gary and slammed him against his car. He jammed his thumb in his former friend's eye and started wailing on him. Kim jumped in and put her lit cigarette out on Billy's ear, causing him to release Gary. Burning with rage, Billy recovered and went after Gary again. His father and wife tried to pull him back, while other neighbors jumped in the fray. It was a tangled mess of bodies as middle-aged men and women brawled with each other like spiteful children. The fight was finally broken up when a random bystander approached and pepper sprayed the whole lot of them. The men and women screamed and fell to the ground frantically rubbing their eyes. They lay sprawled on the concrete in tears, still grumbling insults to one another when a deputy exited the courthouse to end things once and for all. After an interrogation, Billy was held responsible for jumping Gary and was arrested. Gary and Kim returned home feeling bruised but slightly triumphant. But Billy was released a few hours later without being charged. With that, any lingering respect for authority Gary had left evaporated. 
Clearly, the system was determined not to intervene. Police failed to put a lid on the conflict, a judge refused to grant legal protection, and now, not even outright violence had resulted in any real punishment. To Kim and Gary, it was game on once again. Billy, too, felt the enormous weight of responsibility fall onto his shoulders. From his perspective, it was him against the world. As the next few days went by and Gary, Roger, and Kim renewed their insults, he felt a fire ignite in his belly. He didn't see Gary's threats as empty provocations any longer. For all intents and purposes, they had succeeded in getting in Billy's head. After weeks of taunting him, provoking him, and specifically trying to prey on his mental illness, Gary and his cohorts had gotten what they wanted. Billy was losing control. Billy fought to hold himself together. Every night around midnight, he heard Roger Pecor yelling at him across the street. It made him want to jump out of bed and fight them with his bare hands. Billy's PTSD symptoms were likely made much worse by the repeated taunts and threats from his neighbors. According to the Mayo Clinic, prolonged stress on its own can cause severe anxiety, depression, and concentration issues. When combined with the anxiety he already felt because of his pre-existing condition, it was like throwing gasoline on a fire. He may have felt hyperstimulated, wound too tightly. He was more vulnerable to provocation than ever before. Anything might have set him off. In the midst of turmoil, Billy only had one cause for relief. Soon, he planned on moving away from the Whispering Oaks neighborhood and leaving the feud behind forever. The Woodwards were supposed to sign for a new home in early September, but in his fragile mental state, Billy could only be pushed so far. For five days after the failed court date, he kept his cool as Gary, Roger, Kim, and the Blakes continually taunted him. According to neighbors not involved in the conflict, many bystanders were afraid to even venture outside. Barbara Woodward said she felt like a prisoner in her own home. Billy, on the other hand, saw himself as a soldier under siege. He fell back on his military training. To him, it was a literal war for survival. He believed it was only a matter of time before the neighbors attacked him. They claimed they had weapons, and he worried they planned to use them. His first line of defense was to stay vigilant. He spent hours watching surveillance footage from his camera on his laptop. He had to keep track of the enemy's movements. He couldn't let them strike first. As if he wasn't already tense enough, Billy put himself on guard duty. It no doubt only stressed him further. His self-imposed mission was eating him alive. Everyone has a breaking point, and Billy reached his on Labor Day weekend, 2012. The evening of Monday, September 3rd, started with a rowdy barbecue at Gary Hembry's house. Guests drank and celebrated, seemingly trying to make as much noise as possible, possibly just to infuriate the Woodwards. 
Geary watched them from his surveillance camera. The footage was blurry, but he could just make them out flipping burgers and laughing at him. He could definitely hear them yelling, calling him things like a plastic G.I. Joe and an army reject. They belittled his service, made light of his head injury and stress issues, mocked his wife, and threatened his family. In other words, it was more of the same. But this time, for whatever reason, Billy truly had enough. He was worried this was the night everything had been leading up to. With all the other people assembled across the block, he feared the final battle was imminent. He obsessively watched the surveillance video from his laptop, keeping an eye on his enemy's movements. Around midnight, after listening to them threaten and mock him for hours, Billy spotted them lighting something on fire. He falsely assumed it was some kind of Molotov cocktail. With that, Billy Woodward went into battle mode. He dressed in camouflage, grabbed his pistol and ammunition. With two full clips and one round in the chamber, Billy hit the deck and Army crawled across his driveway toward the neighbor's yard. It was finally time to put an end to all the talk. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Billy Woodward's story. We'll detail Billy's final confrontation with his neighbors and the sensational trial that followed. You can find all episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Trent Williamson with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Terrell Wells, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Mm-hmm.